please take a seat. And um, Terry's going to come and bring us our reading now from the Bible, which is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Uh, this is a letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, obviously. Um, but at the beginning of this passage, he describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks very much, Terry. Well, so far in this um, series of disciples making disciples, we've looked at two questions. The first one was, what is a disciple? And the second one was, why make disciples? Last week, we considered the question, why make disciples? And the answers we came up with um, were appearing on the screen here. First of all, because of the joy God has in making disciples. We saw, to remember how God brings us out of darkness into the light of the kingdom of his Son, because of his love for us. It's a great joy for him. Secondly, because of the joy God gives us in making disciples. And we looked at uh, some of the joy that Paul expresses in the letters he writes to the disciples he's made in different places from his visits. 
and uh, ultimately though because we are helping God to build his kingdom. And we finished last week with the vision of God's people gathered around his throne that we started the service with this evening. Um, there at the end on the right-hand side, that is what it's all aiming towards, the people gathered around the throne of God. Well, the previous week, we, we started the series by looking at the question, what is a disciple? And um, in 1 Thessalonians 1, we saw uh, five criteria of a disciple and that came out from that passage. The first of all, that he is one who's loved and chosen by God. Uh, secondly, one who's turned to Christ and been forgiven. One who is learning to uh, obey Christ and be like Christ. It's an ongoing work of becoming more and more like Christ. We are all learners as disciples. One who has given up everything for Christ. As we sang just earlier, I surrender all for Christ. And finally, one who makes other disciples. I guess that last point really answers this evening's question, really, isn't it? Who makes disciples? Um, the title of the series is a bit of a giveaway as well. Disciples who make disciples. Um, as disciples of Jesus, who we are a disciple of Jesus, we are all responsible for making disciples. But I'm sure you'd like a little bit more biblical basis to, uh, to back that up. So um, and let's have a look at uh, how justified this is to say that disciples make disciples. So have for your um, Bibles open, um, Ephesians 4. We're not going to go there just yet, but uh, before we get there, um, I just want to go through um, what's God's design for us. Because at a basic level, God has made us as relational beings. Uh, he's made us as people who are able to speak to one another. God gave us minds to think, gave us hearts to, to feel, gave us mouths to express what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And it's our words that allow us to, to build relationships, to grow in relationships. With words, we can thank, we can ask, we can say sorry, we can forgive, we can comfort, we can express joy, we can express grief, we can teach, we can entertain, and all sorts of other things. It's our words that reveal our hearts. But of course, our words, like every other aspect of our beings, are distorted by sin and can have a negative effect as well as a positive effect. And we can do evil as we reject God, as we harm Others, James in his letter says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. But when God saves us, he transforms every aspect of our lives, including our speech. God's spirit enables us to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He enables us to praise him. We sang earlier, my lips shall praise you. He enables us to pray to him. And he enables us to love others. God's spirit lives in every believer. But as we go back to the Old Testament, we see that that wasn't always the case because God anointed certain people with his spirit. Um, in Numbers 11, you may recall the story of the people of Israel waiting to enter the promised land and uh, they're grumbling. They've just escaped from, from Egypt and already they're thinking about how good life was back in Egypt. And Moses just finds it too much to handle. And uh, this is what he says to the Lord. He says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And at that point, the Lord gets Moses to, to gather 70 of the leaders of Israel. 
uh, for him to anoint with the Spirit so that they can carry some of the burden, so they can prophesy and speak the Lord's word. Um, most of them do that once, but then stop. But two of them carry on prophesying. And um, Moses' assistant, Joshua, says, um, there are two going around prophesying. Um, what are we going to do about it? And Moses says this, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And that is the, the hope that is carried through the, the Old Testament, that God would one day redeem and he would renew his people through the power of his spirit. And it's exactly what happens at Pentecost when the spirit is poured out, uh, poured out on all believers. Uh, they're all able to proclaim the mighty works of God in their own languages. And as Peter says, he says this, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I think it might be coming up on the screen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is a new stage in God's plan of salvation. All those who put their faith in Jesus are filled with the Spirit. And as we've seen in the book of Acts that we've been looking at on Sunday evenings, uh, it's not just pastors or elders or evangelists who speak the word of God. It's all believers who use their mouths to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. So, for example, in Acts 4, when the, the disciples met with Peter and John, prayed specifically for boldness, boldness to speak God's word, we're told the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When persecution broke out against the church after the death of Stephen, um, the church was scattered. But again, we're told those who were scattered went about preaching or proclaiming the word. They went about speaking the word. And this speaking is not just about proclaiming the gospel to, to unbelievers. It's also about proclaiming the gospel to believers. Um, it is about discipling. We're all involved in discipling. Let's turn to the, the passage in Ephesians 4 that um, Terry read for us. Uh, because here the, the image that is used to describe the church is that of the body. We're told Christ um, sets apart some people with particular gifts, such as apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Our purpose of that being to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Why? We're told in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there are two goals here. One is unity, which reminds us of the vision from last week. Uh, people gathered around the throne, united in their love for Christ. That's the most important thing we have in common. But secondly, maturity. God wants all to be built up, all to become mature in their faith. And the way that happens is in verse 15. Have a look. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The speaking the truth in love is really another expression for discipling. And that is something that applies to everyone, to each member of the body. And sometimes when we think of uh, <clears throat> every member ministry, every part of the body serving in some way, we, we, we think, well, I just need to find some area in which I can serve in the church. And that's right. Uh, we all have a, an area in which we can serve in the church. But that doesn't mean that some of us, therefore, don't need to speak. We may not all speak up front. We may not all be involved in teaching. Um, but we still all speak because, as it says already, we've been made as relational beings. We relate to one another. We speak to one another. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We all have an influence on others. And therefore, we are discipling. We're all disciple makers, whether we like it or not, uh, whether we realize it or not. And the question is, is are we, we willing to accept that responsibility and seek to become better at it? Marshall and Payne, um, in their book I mentioned last week, The Vine Project, sum this up in these words. They say, a healthy church culture is one in which a wide variety of word ministries are exercised by a constantly growing proportion of the membership. I'd just like us to pause there for a moment before we go, and I'd just like to ask you the question, um, which you can maybe just chat with your person sitting next to you for a, for a minute or two. How do you feel about this responsibility of making disciples? How does that make you feel? Um, if it is a responsibility for everybody, for all believers, how does that make you feel? Just chat for a minute or so with your, the person sitting next to you. If there's nobody sitting next to you, maybe go and move, or if you want to sit quietly, that's, that's fine as well, and just reflect uh, yourself um, how does that that make you feel? Anybody want to shout something out? Uh, how, do, how, do you, how does it make you feel, the responsibility that uh, we each have to make disciples? There's no right or wrong answers. It's just how you feel. Um, how does it make you feel? Unnerved. unnerved. Yeah, I'm unnerved. It's, uh, it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Um, unnerved. Any, anything else? Yeah, it's a good combination, isn't it? Inadequate. We're adequate within our own strengths, aren't we? But blessed when we do it in the strength of uh, strength of God. Well, let's have a look at um, Ephesians four here, and because um, there will be these natural reactions of, I just don't feel adequate enough to do that. I feel a bit unnerved. Um, at the same time, it's a great blessing as well. So let's just have a look at um, what is it that uh, effectively. If we are going to be a better disciple maker, um, what do we need to to be be relying on? What is important? Well, the first thing I think is to have the right objective, um, and that is, as we've seen already, to build up. Verse twenty nine says, "Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up." according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We want to see others become more mature in their faith. Um, going back to that picture, I think it might be coming up again. Um, what that means is trying to move them um, one step to the right. Maybe it's not coming up now, don't worry. <laughs> um, 
remember the picture though of um, the, the stage and discipleship? Well, we're never one stage or the other. There's a gradual process of growing and maturing. Um, just moving one step to the right. But what does that growth look like? Um, well, think of the fruit of the Spirit. That's one way of um, looking at growth. With each of the fruit, it's not, it's not an either or, is it? We're not either um, loving or unloving. We're not either patient or impatient or self-controlled or lacking in self-control. There's always a spectrum, isn't there? Um, and hopefully we're seeking to, to move along that spectrum, to grow in each of those fruit of the Spirit. Um, we may grow in different fruit and at different speeds and at different times, but hopefully in all of those fruit of the Spirit we're seeking to, to grow. Part of being built up is also growing in wisdom and discernment. So if you look at verse 14, if we do grow in wisdom and discernment, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. If you've ever been out to sea on a rough day, you will know what it's like to... Um, feel just vulnerable um, in a boat, however large or small it may be. You're tossed back and forth. Um, if you don't know what it's like, have a chat with David and Karen, who've just come back from Vietnam, um, nearly drowned in the process as their boat um, was capsized. Um, it's vulnerable, you feel vulnerable. Um, or try to walk in a straight line in a gale, and um, it feels very hard when you're being blown here and there. And that's what Paul says, that it feels like when you're exposed to, to the world views, to the manipulation of people who don't hold to the truth. And the challenge for, for our children and young people um, is to sift through all the views that they're being bombarded with um, today. Maybe on the playground, in the, in the, in the classroom, um, on the internet, in the home. And to come to their own con- convictions of the truth it's hard when you're young. We need to pray for our young people. But Paul's saying it's not a question of age. Um, it's about your maturity in the faith. If you're a new Christian, you're vulnerable to, to false teaching. And unless you establish your roots, unless you grow in your faith, you will remain in that vulnerable situation, just being tossed back and forth, blown here and there. And Paul says it's not just an alternative viewpoint um, that's being presented it's actually cunning, it is crafty, and it's deceitful. And when we hear that word cunning, we're reminded that behind those who would lead us astray is the devil, whether they know it or not. He wants to deceive us by undermining our faith. But if we're disciple makers, we're warned also by Paul that we need to be careful we don't undermine somebody's faith without realising it. And so he says in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up unwholesome talk is basically what undermines somebody's faith rather than builds them up so just think for a minute what sort of things we might say and we might have said that might have caused somebody's faith to be undermined maybe it's just a casual comment um Maybe something which encouraged them almost to put their trust in worldly things rather than their trust in God. Maybe it was just, uh, again, unconsciously reinforcing an ungodly attitude. Maybe a sense of pride in someone or self-pity or jealousy, bitterness, all sorts of wrong 
ungodly attitudes. Maybe we've encouraged that without realizing it. So the objective is to build one another up. And therefore we need to be careful about wrong objectives. What wrong objectives might, might we have? Well, it might all be about us. We said last week there's a great joy in discipling, and there is a great joy in discipling. It's a great privilege. Um, but that doesn't mean we, we seek somebody's disciple for our benefit. Um, so we feel fulfilled, so we can um, talk about the difference that we have made in somebody's lives. That just leads to pride. And so often there'll be someone who may be actually be better to, to disciple somebody than we are. Remember we looked at um, in Acts recently, Barnabas going to Antioch to disciple the, the new Christians there. And he thought, hang on, there's somebody here who could really do a good job here. Let me go and get Saul, who became Paul. And he was great for them. But of course, what that doesn't mean is that we should seek an excuse not to disciple. There'll always be an excuse not to disciple, that we feel we are inadequate, that we just can't do it. I'm not good enough to disciple anybody. I've not been a Christian long enough. I've got too many problems in my life to deal with, let alone help somebody else with theirs. Which brings us on to the next point, which is the right attitude, a sense of humility. Look at verse 2 there, it says in chapter 4, be completely humble and gentle. And humility is first to acknowledge that as a disciple maker, that doesn't mean I've got it all sussed. As we saw last week, we will all remain learners this side of heaven. And the only reason we may be further along in our faith than, than someone else is because of the grace of God. So there's no room for pride in discipling. There's no room for looking down at someone or giving the impression that we've, we somehow know more than others. Or talking to them in a way which makes them feel bad about themselves. But again, on the other hand, humility doesn't mean putting yourself down. It doesn't mean having a mistakenly low opinion of yourself. That just becomes a false humility which is another form of pride. Now, humility means accepting that with all your failings, with all your weaknesses, God is still able to use you. It means accepting we don't have to be experts. It means even as a young Christian, I can disciple others. There may be a limit to what I can do, but there's still something I can do. The important thing is to have the right motivation which is love. The more we grow in love, the more we will want to disciple others. We will want to build others up. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I desperately want someone to come to faith? Do I want to be able to say something that would help them? Do I have a natural love for those around me? Do both those who who are lost and those who are saved... Again, if we go back to the picture, the more we move to the right, the more we want to speak to those on our left. But sadly, the perception a lot of people have of Christians is that um, they're just interested in themselves, feeling good about themselves, feeling morally superior in some way, looking down on others. Christianity is not about, look at me, I'm way out here. It's about making sure those behind us are brought up with us. And I've used this illustration before, but um, 
Uh, my sister still gets teased about the fact that when she was a, a little girl and took part in the, the toddler's race at school, she raced out in front of everybody else, um, streaks ahead. But just as she was getting to the, the finishing line, she, she turned around and um, looked for her friend who was quite a way back and uh, stood there and just waited for her to catch up. As she did so, all the others sort of passed by, um, beat her, but um, it didn't matter. They just crossed the, land, the line hand in hand. We saw great displays of courage last week, didn't we, in the face of the terror attack in London. Um, with many people not just fleeing for safety, making sure they were okay, but going towards the injured and the dying and trying to help them. There are no prizes for the first to get to heaven. We will all get there at the same time. If we're only focused on ourselves, we are not living the life of a disciple that Jesus wants us to live. Discipling others is not about whether we are good enough or experienced enough. It's about do we love enough. And so we are called to speak the truth in love. Look at verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does, it work, does its work. Now let's not kid ourselves, love is hard work. Um, it requires great patience, um, which is why verse 2 says, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. First description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 we're given is that love is patient. Disciple making is hard work. It's, it's long-term work. You don't often see the change in people very, very quickly. People will disappoint you because we're fallen. The disciples of Jesus were a, a classic example, weren't they? they? They said stupid things. They did stupid things. They, they revealed their, their foolishness. And after three years of Intensive discipling. They deserted Jesus in his hour of need. Even though he'd explained to them why he'd come. He'd come to die, that he would rise again. When he did die, they thought that was it. They were surprised by the, the resurrection. So if those Jesus discipled let him down, then so will those we disciple disappoint us. But Jesus remained patient even when, as we saw this morning, Peter denied him three times. He forgave him. He reinstated him. So we need to be careful in our discipling that we don't carry some unnecessary burden that it's all about us, that if, if there's no change in that person, then it's, it's our fault. It's God who brings the change. We are his co-workers. But the work of conversion, the work of maturity is his. We need to have the right attitude. And finally, we need to have the right tools. The truth. The thing about love is that it's not soft, it's not sentimental. At times it has to be tough. And so the Paul says the way we help one another grow is by speaking the truth in love. From time to time, words will need to be said which will be difficult to hear for the person hearing them, and therefore they will be difficult to say. And therefore we'll often bottle out of saying them because we don't want to upset someone. But we're called to speak the truth in love. 
And if we're not speaking the truth, then we're not loving. Verse 25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. As John Stott wrote, he wrote, Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. To speak the truth is to speak the word of God and allow the word to do its work. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. People may disregard our advice, but if they disregard the word of God, then they do so at their own peril. And that doesn't mean taking verses out of context and and bashing people over the head with them. Um, We're still speaking the truth in love. We're still speaking with grace and sensitivity, but we're speaking the truth. And there are different ways of speaking the truth, um, which we'll come on to. over the next couple of weeks, whether it's talking with your children about life, um, whether it's talking with people about over after church, over a coffee, talking with your neighbours, doing a one-to-one Bible study, maybe leading a, uh, a small group study, maybe just uh, sending a text or sharing an article which you found helpful. But what I want to, to encourage you with as we finish is that you all have a role as disciple-makers. You may find some ways easier than others. Um, for you, maybe sending a text or an email. It may be talking to strangers. You may not have a problem with that. Maybe it's offering wisdom and comfort to those who are in need. Or maybe you are one who leads a Bible study or a prayer group. And church is a great place as a body of Christ where we can just try these things out. Uh, there's no fear of failing, getting it wrong, being judged because we're all part of the one body. important thing is, do we have a heart to see other people grow in their faith? Do we want to see them move one step to the right? Are we willing to be used by God in whatever way he would use us? Are we willing to surrender all in the way Jesus surrendered all for us?